0: Good morning. It is great to have you here, those of you braving the cold, and those of you online joining us. This morning we get to start a new series. It is going to be a seven-week series, and it is called Puzzled by the Bible. Because quite honestly, if we were to raise hands, you don't have to, but if we were to raise hands, how many of you would say, you know, when I pick up my Bible, I'm not always sure exactly what it's saying. Or, I'm not always exactly sure where to start. Or, you know, I was in here and I read a story, especially when we kind of get into, like, you know, Leviticus and Exodus and some of that. And I'm not quite sure exactly what it means. Any of you ever have some of those questions? I know that I have, quite often, more often than not. And it gets a little bit frustrating sometimes. And so, in this Puzzled by the Bible series, we're going to be looking at, surprise, the Bible. Because the Bible can actually be a little bit like... A puzzle, where we know bits and pieces, and we can maybe um, quote a scripture reference, John three 16. we've all heard that one before, we can maybe um, actually say a verse, uh, for I know the plans that you have for me, and we keep going, um, maybe we might be able to tell a few stories, most of us would be able to tell Daniel in the lion's den, um, but we don't really have a complete picture, we just have pieces. And so what this series is kind of going to do is it's going to be like our picture. Today, we're not going to get the full picture, and that's going to be okay. So if you get frustrated along the way, it's okay. Just take a deep breath. You can join me. What we're going to do today is kind of create the outline or understanding of the Bible so that we can begin putting pieces into it and it begins making sense. Because we all know as we work on a puzzle, the more pieces that we get into place, the more the picture comes into clarity and pretty soon it starts making sense and then it seems to get a little bit easier until we hit that one tricky spot that doesn't really fit right and we have to figure out where we messed up and go back and fix it. Life. The Bible. So we're going to be working through Puzzled by the Bible. Now, this message is a message that is really largely inspired by a pastor from a large church in Atlanta, Georgia, named Pastor Kevin Myers. He wrote a message on this that I'm giving you today. He also wrote a book on this that I gave you today. So again, if you feel frustrated, take a deep breath. It's okay. There's a whole book on just today's message that explains it. And um, he put this together, and it is so phenomenal that most of the content is going to come from Pastor Kevin Myers. Now the other thing that you have to know is that this message um, was actually presented about two years ago by Pastor Brent because it's also Pastor Brent's message. So why am I standing here today you're wondering? We have Pastor Kevin Myers, we have Pastor Brent. Well Pastor Kevin Myers is in Georgia doing his job and Pastor Brent is currently quarantining with family recovering. Someone in their family tested positive on Friday. They got hit by the COVID bomb, and so on Friday, it got passed off to me. So I am going to be presenting this message to you. I have spent some time with it as well, so there's a little bit of me in it. So you guys are getting a whole conglomerate this morning of um, work and sweat and blood and tears, not really blood, but um, I could get some if you want, to go into this message. So we're going to jump in this message is going to tell the story of the Bible. I don't know if you have ever heard it put that way. A lot of times when we think of the Bible, we think of the bits and pieces, the puzzle pieces in there, but the story of the Bible is one big overarching story. Now, before you say I'm not going to understand this, let me tell you, you will. First of all, this is what Pastor Stanley says. He says, if we don't know the story of the Bible, it's easy to discount or set aside the stories." in the Bible. So when we talk about the overarching, if we don't understand that overarching story, it's easy for us to look at the stories inside that comprise it and say, doesn't make sense, I'm going to set the Bible aside. God doesn't make sense, I'm going to set him aside. So we're going to look at the overarching. Now, I told you that I really think you will be okay with this, and let me explain to you why. A lot of what we're going to talk about today We have talked about in Club 56 with some of my 56ers, and I see several of you in here this morning. Club 56 is a small group that meets on Sunday evenings, and we go through some different things and dig a little bit deeper into the Bible and God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit than we can on Sunday mornings. So now one of the rules that we have for 56ers is I ask them to be brave. I ask them to try things that push them out of their boundaries and makes them uncomfortable, because when we try we learn. When we try and fail, we learn. So if you are a current Club 56-er or a past 56-er, I'm going to ask a few questions to get us set up this morning. And if you know the answer, shout it out. Okay? Because 56-ers, you know this box. This is called courage in a box. This is called inspiration. So here we go. Club 56-ers. Let's see if you guys will be brave and try it first. The Bible is split into two parts. What is the first part called? Go for it, Kelly. The Old Testament. Thank you so much. Heads up. The second part of the Bible, Kason. The New Testament. Um, Kason, come up cuz I don't want to peg people in the head. Good man. All right, we're going to go a little bit more challenging now. In the Old Testament, and we're going to have pictures going up here as well. So on um, we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. In the Old Testament, here we go, get your brains working. It's been a little bit. How many books are in the Old Testament? This one's harder because we don't do it as often. Trinity, try it. Oh, you are so close. Change your six. 39, yes, uh, see, don't trust my aim. All right, 39 in the Old Testament. New Testament, how many books in the Bible? Adults, anybody, New Testament. How many in there? All right, do some math really quick. If there are 66 total books in the Bible and we have 39 in the Old Testament, how many are in the New? Quick math, quick math, Trinity. Mother. Another quick math, try it again. Twenty-seven. Yes. All right, Trinity. Let's try this again. Up. Oh, almost. There we go. All right. So we have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have thirty-nine books of the Bible. The New Testament, we have twenty-seven. Total, sixty-six books in the Bible. It is written by over approximately. Clubbers, how many authors? 40. Kason, you got it. Miss Amy got it too. So over a span of approximately 1,500 years. So those are things that we are learning in Club 56, fifth and sixth grade. Adults, are you with me? Can we learn this? Yes, we can. Because we're not bringing back that show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? I would lose. All right. So now, because you guys were so brave, tonight, you guys that took a chance and answered in Club 56 are going to actually be rewarded with a bigger prize. Because it's one thing for us to be brave when we're in our group of friends and there's only a small amount of us. It's another thing for them to be brave and to risk it and answer wrong in front of a room full of adults. But they're doing it. They're trying and learning. And so that's what this series is going to be for us. It is going to set us up to begin learning so that it makes a little more sense as we go along. So this is where we're going to get into the nitty gritty. So when I say you might get frustrated and stick with me, stick with me. We're going to hit some real technical things today, and it's going to move pretty quickly, but at the end, it will make a little more sense. It will definitely make more sense when we get to the end of the seven weeks. So Pastor Kevin Myers has a brilliant way of putting the Bible together so that it begins to make sense. He tells us that in the Old Testament, there are five key events that happen in order for us to understand what happens in the rest of the Bible. So we're going to look at those five things first. The first event is this. We have God and righteous people in paradise. This is found in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. We're going to start in Genesis. You're going to see up here on the left-hand side, your left-hand side, God and righteous people in paradise. Now what this means when we say righteous is that people are right with God. In other words, they're trying to live according to the law that has been laid out for them. This happens when God establishes everything in Genesis 1 and 2, and this is where the first humans enter the picture, named Adam and Eve, whom most of us know. The second major event is Satan and sin enter the picture. This is going to be found in Genesis chapters 3 through 5. This is where Adam and Eve are now in perfect paradise with God. Everything is wonderful. There is nothing they could want, and it's beautiful. And then Satan enters the picture, and tempts them, and they choose sin over God. The third major event is the world is judged and destroyed, and this is found in Genesis chapter 6 through 9, and this is actually a story that you've probably heard, Noah and the flood. This is where God goes to Noah and says, hey Noah, you need to build an ark, even though there's no water anywhere around, and you need to build it large enough in order to get two of every animal onto the ark to hang out with you and your family. And so Noah obeys he builds this ark, gets the animals and his family onto the, f- there, the ark, and then God floods the world, killing everybody else. Not a story that we necessarily like, other than all of the cute animals that probably weren't cute. They were probably really stinky. But that's the story of Noah and the ark. The fourth major event that sets this up is called a one-world government. This is a story that you may have heard, but it's also a very lesser-known story, and it's found in chapters 10 and 11 of Genesis. This is where all of the people of the world come together. probably don't remember this part, but this part you mate. They try to build a tower up to God. And we often hear it called the Tower of Babel because of what happens as a result. It's actually the Tower of Babel. All of the people come together and they say, you know what? We want to be like God. We want to be our own gods. We want to do things our own way. So let's actually build this tower up to God and then we will be equal to God. And God says, nope, not going to happen. And so he confuses all of their languages. They get separated. Tower of Babel. The fifth and final thing that happens is in chapter 12. And this is called the Old Covenant. Okay? The Old Covenant or the Old Contract. All of this happens in the Old Testament. Now, Club 56ers, help me out again. What does testament mean? promise. So we have the old promise. Case and I saw your hand. Good job, buddy. We're talking about the old covenant, the old promise, the Old Testament. This is where in the entire Old Testament, Satan comes in, sin messes up, sin messes up the world, and then God has to choose a people to himself. So the covenant is with God and Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel specifically. He makes a promise with them that says, I will fix things. A covenant, a promise. It happens in the Old Testament or the Old Promise. When we get to the top, we have those five key elements. You will notice that it is in the shape of an apex. At the very top is the pinnacle. And the pinnacle is actually where we find Jesus. Because Jesus is what changes things around for us. So when we see Jesus at the very top, what we realize, if you look at this picture, is that all the way up, going through the Old Testament, all of these events point to Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament, from Genesis through the Old Testament, points and prophesies towards the coming of Jesus Christ. Everything that you read in the Old Testament is saying, there is one to come, and that is going to be Jesus. So we get Jesus at the very top, and then what we discover in our Bible is that the beginning of the New Testament is where we find the stories and details and examples of Jesus's life. They're found in the first four books of the New Testament. They are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are called the four Gospels. And they are the ones that if you're curious about Jesus' life, read through those, and they will tell you about it. The interesting thing now that Pastor Kevin Meyer sets up for us is we have reached the top. You will notice that we still have that right side that is empty where the New Testament is. There are actually five paralleling events that go in a reverse descending order. And right now you're going, uh... Yep, what? Five paralleling events. And so we're going to run through these five paralleling events that happen in the New Testament that parallel and equal across from what happened in the Old Testament. Here's the first one. The first one is the New Covenant. We've already mentioned this. Everybody help me out because I know my clubbers can. When we say New Covenant, it also means what? The New Promise. Right? It's in the New Testament. The New Testament also means the new promise. So we have the new covenant. And what this is is the new contract that God gives to his people. That God... uh, Hang on just a second here. We're trying to get a message that I'm clearly not hearing. Let's take that out and see if that helps any. So we have the new covenant... And in this new covenant, we have a new promise that God is making to his people that is coming through Jesus Christ. So now, Jesus has come, and he is going to live, and God is saying, this is what's going to happen. The message comes and is delivered through Jesus, goes out to the twelve disciples. Now remember, in the Old Testament, we had the Old Covenant with the twelve tribes of Israel. Now we have the New Testament, the New Covenant, Jesus and the twelve disciples. The 12 disciples are also going to continue taking out this new message, this new hope, this new promise to the rest of the world. All of the books of the Bible, after the first four Gospels in the New Testament, explain this happening. The second event, then, is going to be the one world government. You see it parallels right across. Revelations, chapters 6 through 19, talk about this. The next four events are going to happen in the last book of the Bible called Revelation. This is where the world is going to once again try to come together to create one world government because, again, we haven't learned our lessons yet. God has already said, you guys tried several times in the Old Testament didn't work well. Not going to work well in the New Testament either. Now, it's really important for us to realize where we are on the timeline because if you don't understand the timeline, we could be really freaking out right now. Don't want you to freak out on this morning. We are actually in between the New Covenant and the One World Government. Because we know the New Covenant, we know Jesus has come and died and resurrected for us. We can read about it, we can learn about it, we can invite Jesus into our life. We do not have a One World Government yet, but we are heading that direction. Because God has told us that is what is to come. Now, 20-30 years ago, this would have seemed really ridiculous. And there would have been a lot of scoffing. But when we look at world events now and recently, it makes a little more sense. Because we are heading that direction. The third event is the world is going to be judged and destroyed. Revelation 6 through 19. The first time we talked about it happened through the flood with Noah. The second time that the world will be judged and destroyed is going to happen by fire. And this is one that is really hard to think about. It's really harsh. But it's also part of the entire story of the Bible. It has to happen in order to bring about the ending. The fourth event happens in chapter 20 of Revelation, and this is where Satan and sin exit the picture. This is a hallelujah moment. Praise God, wouldn't we love it right now? No more sin, no more Satan. No more temptations. All of it is gone. God tells us in Revelation he is actually going to cast Satan into the pit of hell where he will be forever, no more to torment and distress. The last event is going to be Revelation 20 through 22. God and redeemed people in paradise. Now if you look across, you'll notice in the Old Testament it was the righteous people, the people that were right with God. Once sin entered the picture, we are no longer right with God. We can no longer be in direct relationship with God because God cannot be around sin. This whole story, the whole reason Jesus comes and we have the entire New Testament, is in order to fix that so that we can be in relationship with God again in paradise. When it says that we are a redeemed people, that happens through the blood of Jesus when we ask him to be a part of our lives and we choose to believe that that is the entire reason he came to earth was for us to be able to restore our relationship with God. God tells his story and it's a full circle. We begin with paradise and in the end we are in paradise with God. We just have to get to that point. So here is why this story, the big story of the Bible, And understanding it is so important. Because in this establishment, God settles three things that we have to settle for ourselves in order to understand God, in order to understand the Bible, in order to understand our life, what is happening, and how we can respond. Here's the first thing the first thing that we have to establish is that God is without equal. God is without equal. Now, if we were in pews, I would say take out your Bible from the pew in front of you, but we're not in pews. So I'm going to show you mine. God is without equal. We get this established right away. Like we open up our Bible and get past all of the intro stuff, and the first book of the Bible is what? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. First book of the Bible is... Genesis, I know, you guys are wanting candy. See, okay, at the end of service, you guys can find it. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. So it's the first page of our Bible. And we start out in chapter 1, which is the first chapter of our Bible, and then we go to verse 1, the first verse of the Bible. And it says, what does it say? In the beginning, God. And stop. In the beginning, God. There was nothing else. There is God, and then God created. We don't get to argue with that. God is there. God is in the beginning. Now, Pastor Kevin Myers told a joke that seemed pretty funny, so I'm going to attempt it. If it does not come off right, assume that I am Pastor Kevin Myers telling it, and you will laugh your heads off. Okay? So, Pastor Kevin Myers says there was a group of men, And they were really intelligent, they had been creating, they had been doing a lot of things, and so they got together and decided, you know what, we're pretty smart people, I don't really think we need God anymore. And so they decided a representative would go and talk to God. And they send this representative to talk to God, and they're like, "All right, God, so here's the deal. Uh, We're pretty intelligent guys. Uh, we've been doing a lot of things. Um, you know, we've actually been able to clone man, and so we don't really, uh, we don't really need you anymore. Like, we got this. We can take care of it. And so God was like, "Okay, perfect. You know, let's test this theory of yours just a little bit. How about we have a man-making contest? You can clone. You can create mankind. Let's have a man-making contest." And the guy was like, "Oh yeah, okay." was like, okay, but there's a, a rule, a stipulation here before we get to it. Um, we need to do it the original way, like my original way. We need to create man from dirt. And so the guy was like, oh, yeah, okay. So he bends down and scoops up a handful of dirt, and God was like, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Hang on, original. You need to make your own dirt. Right? Yeah, all right, thanks. Um, I appreciate it. (laughs) So we get this idea in our head that we can be equal to God, we can be like God, but the truth is we can't. A lot of people would tell us that we are at odds with God in science. You know, we have the Big Bang Theory, we have evolution, we have all of these things, but what we don't look at is where did it all start? Where did it begin? God is not at odds with us in science. God created science. It's interesting because a lot of times we get more excited about what God has created than we do the creator. You know, we go to him and we're like, God, have you seen the human body? Like, all of the parts. Do you know how they all work together? Did you know there's something called DNA? And it's like, we all have these unique fingerprints, and did you know this? And God's like, hey, dude... I created it. Of course I know this. But we get so excited because we are discovering it. But God is saying, I created all of that for you to discover, for you to enjoy, for you to learn. Yeah, I know. I created it. Science is not against God. You see, we want things that are logical and make sense and can go in order for our brains because of how we are wired. And God's saying, I'm not limited by that. I am so far beyond that. I am outside the box of what you are even able to comprehend. But a lot of it comes down to the point that we don't like people telling us what to do and what to believe. If you are a person that does not like someone telling you what to do or what to believe, raise your hand. A few brave souls, you guys are honest, thank you. The rest of you are not raising your hands because you don't want me telling you to raise your hands, and so you're not going to raise your hands because the pastor's telling you to raise your hand. Right? We don't want to be told what to do. I get it. I don't either. I like my freedom. I like my choices. But did you know that freedom of religion did not come from the Constitution? Did you know that the freedom of religion came from God? In the beginning, he gave us free will, free choice to choose if we're going to believe or not. That was a long time ago. God gave us the ability to say, you can choose to believe in me. You can choose to not believe in me. Or you can choose to think whatever you want. It's up to you. Your choice. God is not going to dictate what we believe And what we choose. But he does tell us, I established this and set it up for you. Pastor Kevin Myers said, What you believe doesn't change what is. Oh, that one hurts. What we believe does not change what is, what is truth is truth. We don't get to choose to change it. We don't get to choose the outcome or the consequences of what we believe. Those are already established. We don't get to make it different according to our own desires and what we want. The truth is the truth. In the beginning, God. By the way, what happens when we try to play God? When we want to build our tower up to be equal like God? It's called sin. And it's deadly. That's our second point. Sin leads to death. Another one that we don't like to hear. But if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, Let's hear what God has to say about this in verses 15 through 17. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will sure to die. You see, sin leads to death. We're told that right there, In Genesis chapter 2. But look at the next part of the story. This is really important because it impacts us today, just like it impacted Adam and Eve. We look at chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden Of course we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's not only the fruit from the tree, it's only, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Listen carefully. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be, what does that say there? Like God. Say it again with me. Like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave some to her husband who was with her who was innocent and naive and just went along with whatever Eve said. No. Not really. Talk on it. Who was with her and he ate it too. Did you catch the subtleties in there? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? i know just the one silly serpent ah you're not going to die god wasn't telling you the truth he knows that you'll be like him he doesn't want you to be like him where you can see good and evil right little oh so little sin deadly And we need to question. We need to question ourselves. Let me tell you some of the questions that my 56ers asked. Uh, Did the snake really talk in words? (laughs) Well, it's written here. I don't know the exact answer for you. But it's a great question because you're thinking about it. And when we get to heaven, if it's still a question, we get to ask God. Right? They're asking hard questions. There were a bunch of others that I can't get into right now. But I tell you what, they're thinking. Just like we need to think. Because here's what happens. We hear sin is deadly, but we tend to think of sin like this. It's a toy snake, right? Toy snake. This isn't going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt me. But we're told sin is deadly. And yet we pick it up and we play with it and we treat it like a toy and we let sin into our lives, into our marriages, into our finances, into our families into the very fabric of our lives because sin, right? Those little twists, it's, it's not going to kill you. You'll be like God. But we're told that sin is deadly. Now, none of you are bothered, surprisingly, by the fact that I am holding this snake, this deadly snake, right? Because it's a toy. It's not going to hurt us. The worst I could do is like get caught around my hair and make it go all staticky, right? But what if I were to have someone come in with a real snake? Oh, a lot of you are looking. It would change the atmosphere in here pretty quickly, right? A few of your hearts just like, whoo, a little adrenaline rush. Real snake coming in? I tell you what, my heart would be racing if we were to have a real snake brought in right now. And uh, it would change things drastically. Because I am deathly afraid of snakes. You guys are lucky. You guys are lucky. I am not going to bring in a live snake. But Pastor Kevin Myers' church did. They brought in a real snake in order to make a very obvious and clear point. They brought in a man who was a very well-trained snake handler, and he showed them this. Go ahead and watch.
1: The animals on the planet. We have it Texas, Oklahoma, Arizona. I have it here in Georgia for you, the Western Diamondback. I don't know how many of you are in here. I'm going to assume, what, 2,500 roughly? There's enough venom there to kill every one of us. 320 milligrams. All it takes is a pinhead drop. You will get to see this morning what I see pretty much every day. Look death in the eye. This is a very dangerous animal. I'm going to take him out and put him right there. Oh, he's very much alive. Can you hear that rattle? Can you hear it? Oh, I like we're this. to be better. with you this morning. Wow! I see the guy. Sure. Here, let me Let's get out him of your out. Way. Put him right there on the rug. Here we go. Wow! There you are, sir. That is death. Western Diamondback. You okay, sir? You okay, sir? Don't bite that boot, please. Look at you. Look at you. Look at there. Now he's done this so many times. We got to see those fangs. But what do you do when you're outside and you see a snake? Leave that snake alone, unless you're like me. <laughs> you just got to look at it. Let's look at this snake's fangs. Look at that. Watch him. He's going to get upset. Not going to hurt him. Right there, sir. You're okay. You're okay. Easy, 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 easy. Right there. Wow. Right there. Wow. That is looking death in the eye. You'd just love to get that hand, wouldn't you? Look at that tongue come out. Look at that tongue come out. Look at that, touching my finger. Wow, 320 milligrams of venom. we got to see those fangs. And look at those cold black eyes looking at me. That's what death looks like. Let's see those fangs. Oh, there's one there too. Wow. Wow.
0: I tell you what, if I wasn't up here, if I was on that stage, I'd be peeing my pants. (laughs) I'd be out of there. And we laugh about it because we were in a safe spot, right? We're watching it on video. We're not even in the same room. But the point is the same. A pin drop of that venom is deadly. That snake had enough venom to kill 250,000 people, 2,500 people, a lot of people, all of us for sure, right? But we hear sin is deadly and we're like, no, it's not. It's a toy. It can't hurt me. So much so that we tend to keep little pet sins in our lives because we don't want to get rid of them, because they make us feel good, because, oh, I'm not dead yet. It hasn't hurt me yet. But we're told sin is deadly. We don't get to change the truth. Sin is deadly. We all feel like we're missing something, like there is something bigger than us. And the truth is, there is. Because we were created to be in a relationship with God. We are created to be in paradise with God. And that is a longing that is inside of us, whether we recognize it or not. And when we turn to all of our pet sins... It removes us from the ability to have that perfect ending with God. Sin is something that we need to address. And here's the third thing that we also don't like to hear. When it comes to sin, we are to blame. I'm to blame. You are to blame. All of us have sin in our lives, and this is a hard one for us because when we deal with sin, when we deal with the consequences, we want to blame anyone else but ourselves. That is the way that we are wired. It's not my fault. Did you see? Uh, that person, it's not my fault. God, where were you? God, this is on you, not me, right? It's so much easier for us to cast blame and to say, it is not my fault, this is whoever, not me. But the truth of us is that most of the time it is me, unfortunately, and I don't like to admit it. You see, it's kind of like when we learn to drive our cars. When I was young, I got to learn how to drive in a little car, and then I got a big Chevy truck. I loved it. All of the guys loved it. They offered to buy it from me. I was like, no, nah, this is my big blue. That's what we called it. And then when I went to college, I wanted to shift from big blue into a sporty little Chevy S10 extended cab, and it was candy apple red. It was great. Because Big Blue was fantastic around town, but Big Blue was not great to do the miles in order to go to college. And so I thought I was something else, and I was going to visit the college that I thought I was going to go to, which was about four hours away. There was a friend that I knew who had already gone to that college, and so he was willing to go with me, to get me there safely, to make sure that I got where I needed to go on campus during this visit, and then to make sure I got home safely. So we get there, it's a fantastic visit. I'm sure I'm going, there's a potential scholarship on the line, I love the atmosphere, and we're driving home in my red Chevy Aston extended pickup truck. And I tell you that baby, I loved it. It got me through everything. And so as we're driving home, we're going from the northwest corner of Wyoming to the opposite side of Wyoming, four hour drive. And we happen to be in a stretch that occurs before the mountains, so it's a very long, several mile long stretch. Gorgeous day, heading home, super excited, chatting with Whitney about everything that I love and how fantastic it is, and I look down this long stretch of road, and there's a semi coming at me with the sun reflecting off of his grill, and it's kind of blinding, but I'm like just talking and excited, and what I don't realize as I'm talking and excited is that I am picking up speed as I'm talking and excited. And so about this time, Whitney looks over at the speedometer and is like, hey, Chris, just so you know, just be careful in this area. There tends to be a lot of cops. It's a long, flat stretch. And I was like, oh, okay, we're great. La 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 la. And I passed this semi coming at me with the sun reflecting off of his grill. And right in front of that shiny grill is an officer who promptly flipped on his lights and did a UE and pulled in behind me. I was mad. I was madder than a hornet because, Whitney, why didn't you tell me sooner that there would be cops in this area? And why didn't you tell me that there was a car in front of that semi that I couldn't see? Why? What? My mom is going to kill me. Right? Whitney, uh, why was the cop in front of the semi? Couldn't see anything. But whose fault was it? gummit, my foot was the one pressing the accelerator. That ticket was all mine. All mine. But I tell you what, I felt a lot better in that moment blaming anyone else but myself. God tells us that sin is deadly. Truth. We have to accept that we are the ones to blame when we allow sin into our life, and when we don't deal with it, when we don't turn to God and Jesus for help. But here is the most important thing. The entire reason for the Bible, the story of the Bible, is for us to be redeemed with God in paradise. And this is how that can happen. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. For everyone has sinned. Can I get some help? You guys say that with me. For everyone has sinned. So all of us are in this lovely boat together. We don't like it, but we're in this lovely boat together. All of us have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet God, in his grace, makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus. When he freed us from the penalty of sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. In other words, Jesus in place of us. Each and every one of us. Not just a few. All of us. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. That is how we restore our relationship with God. That is how we have the ability to have paradise forever with God. We believe that Jesus came and shed his blood for me. Only I need you to say, for me. Because it's not for Chris, it's for you. Put your name in there. Jesus died for, I'm going to say Chris, you say your name. Jesus died for... This is why the Bible is so important and why we have to understand why sin is so deadly and not a toy. Because it's real. It's not a game. It's not something that we get to mess with. God's entire big story, he wants us to understand so that we ultimately understand that our life with him is what he desires. And that happens through the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going to end things a little bit shorter. I'm going to give you a couple of questions to think about, and then we're going to pray and sing a song. Because I really want you to think and ponder on these questions. It matters that much. So, out of the three things that get settled that God is without equal, that sin leads to death, and that we are to blame, which one of those three? is the most unsettling for you? Which one do you struggle with? The second question, are you willing to lay down your pride, your life, and acknowledge God's story in you? Will you pray with me, please? Jesus, there's a lot of information this morning, a lot of things for us to hear and to try to understand and try to comprehend, but you know exactly that one point that was a pinprick in our heart or our mind that you want us to focus on this week. So I pray for each person hearing your word today, that they don't get lost in the entirety, but they get found in that one small piece that needs to be heard and understood. Your whispering, your stomach turn, whatever it is to get our attention, help us to focus on that. We pray this week that you would continue guiding and working in our lives, and we just thank you for the ways that you've already done that. We pray for those who are not feeling well this week, um, or maybe haven't been for a while, that you would heal their bodies, that you would uh, restore them, and that they would be able to enter community again, because we all need that. Thank you for your love. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for making us think and question. Thank you that you love us enough to accept us right where we are. Help us to answer the question of which of those three unsettles us and then to do something about it. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.